This is the Critical Conversations podcast, a KPOV special project developed to feature unique perspectives and the courage it takes to go there, challenge mundane thought, and question the norm. Good morning, Cheryl Adcox, and welcome to the Wednesday Point. We are thrilled to have you with us today to talk about a subject that most people don't usually gravitate towards, death. So first off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became linked to this stage in life? Sure. Thanks, JC. I'm honored to be here with you today. Um, I am a registered nurse with a background in oncology and hospice nursing. So I've been a nurse for 20 years. Um, I've been in Central Oregon for a little, about 10 years now. Um, and what draws me to death, that's an interesting question. I get asked that um, quite often, but I think it's really the mystery of it. It's, um, that's what draws me. And also the shared humanity. Um, that's what we share. Yeah, we're all going to meet death in the end. So recently I attended one of your facilitated death cafes where you shared your philosophy on death culture in the United States. Can you talk more about that and why it maybe needs to change or get less commercial? Sure. I think here in America, we are very removed from death. I think other cultures um, do death differently, and while they may not, uh, they may still hold the fear of death, I think that they have a relationship with it that Americans don't have. Um, with the advance of medical technology, death has been removed from us, so people end up in nursing homes, ERs, ICUs, and we don't see it, whereas 100, 150 years ago, death was in our homes. And we were part of the funeral, so we had more of a relationship with death. And I think that we need to move more towards where we were. Um, and having, I always say as a doula that if I do my job right, I'm going to work myself right out of a job. Because part of it is helping people to accept death, um, to be around it. I think as humans, we know how to attend death, but we've just forgotten how to do it. So I think as doulas, it's a big education that um, we can take care of each other through our death, and it doesn't have to happen in the hospitals and in the nursing homes. You mentioned that things are done differently in other cultures. Talk to us about that. Well, in you know, there's some cultures where they actually they'll kind of mummify their dead. And then on the date of the death, they may bring that person out and redress and re kind of a paper mache around the skeleton. And so they have more of a relationship. We look at, um, in Mexico, they have day of the dead, day of the where dead, people right. go to the cemeteries and they honor people who have died. So they have more of a relationship. Um, and here in America, it's just so removed from us that we don't see it. Yeah, and, I remember and that. So they have fear. I remember that being brought up in the death cafe that I didn't even really realize how most of us die in the hospital now and it's so detached. But when we picture a peaceful death, it's in our homes. So I was wondering if you could maybe explain the death cafe a little bit more to our listeners and maybe the benefits of attending. Sure. Um, death cafe is actually an organization. It's not something I came up with. It's started in England in 2010 
um, by a man named John Underwood. He wanted to have a gathering and talk about death, um, but he couldn't find a public arena that would allow him to bring a group of people. So he did it in his living room with his mother. And since that time, um, an American, her name was Lizzie Miles, discovered the Death Cafe and brought the idea to America in 2011. And since that time, there have been sev- over 7,000 Death Cafes across the globe. And the whole intention of Death Cafe is to help people to lean into the reality of death so that the idea is that the more we lean in, the more we can make of our lives and the more meaning we can find in our lives once we lean into death. Because I always say that any conversation about death is really a conversation about life. And anytime we lean into the reality of our own deaths, it makes us look at our life and our time and how are we spending our time? Who are we spending it with? Are there dreams that we're not realizing because we're too afraid to do it? Mm -hmm. So I think that any exploration of death is life-enriching. Um, segueing a little bit away from that, I actually recently read the top five regrets of the dead or dying by Bronnie Ware, who is in palliative care. And she also talked about how people will regret like um, putting pressure on people's judgments of them or not living their authentic self or getting in touch with childhood friends. And I was wondering your opinion on why do you think it takes facing your own mortality in order to live your realized self? Oh, that's a good, really good question. Because um, I think we can distract ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we distract ourselves. And we, when we don't see the bigger picture and see a world where we're not in it mm-hmm. and kind of imagine what we're leaving behind as far as legacy, as far as what we're teaching and showing other people about life and how to live it, um, yeah, I think I think and there's nothing in our culture that supports us. Yeah. Talking about and looking at death. It's not supported. People don't want to talk about it until it's actually right on their doorstep. And then it's a moment of crisis and decisions are being made in fear and anxiety and not a calm, rational, well thought out. Yeah. way. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the importance of the death cafe too is we're it gives us space to explore some of these issues and to really contemplate our own death and how we would want that to play out. So you've been holding your death cafes at the library. Yes. Um, Talk to us about what types of people attend. Young people, elderly people, sick people, well people? All sorts of people across the board. Um, I've been really encouraged and inspired by the amount of young people coming to the Death Cafe. Um, it's, it's, I think it's amazing because I always say it's never, you're never too young to start thinking about your own death. Um, the more we think about it, it changes our lives and how we're living them and choices that we're making. And it really does make life richer in my own experience. Um, so I've had people that have a terminal diagnosis that are coming to Death Cafe, people who have just sat bedside with a loved one who's dying, people who are just exploring. Um, So it's across the board, which makes it a really rich discussion when you have different perspectives and different age groups. So... 
Another job that you have is an end-of-life doula. So you work as a guide to help people navigate the final stages of life. How exactly does that work? I'm guessing it's a very individual experience. It is very individual. So um, an end-of-life doula, death doula, death midwife, you'll hear many terms for that. It's a rather new role, um, and it is a non-medical role that su- supply or provides emotional, spiritual, and practical support for people who are dying and their loved ones. Um, So it looks different depending on what the needs are. A lot of my work right now is education and um, raising awareness and talking about death. Um, And it's just very individual. So it could go from actually sitting vigil and being with someone who is dying. It might be helping someone fill out an advanced directive. Um, I've done quite, through COVID, I did quite a few Zoom calls where family members would all, they could be across the country and we would all gather on a Zoom call and talk about kind of what to expect, what's coming down the pike, how they can best serve their loved one. So it really varies across the board. So, Cheryl, you're also a registered nurse. How has this helped you as a doula? That's an interesting question, too. I um, I think it, it has allowed me to be around death, for one, and become really comfortable being around death and talking to families. Um, that education is priceless. I really pondered when I when I resigned from my nursing job um, in hospice and decided to get certified to become a doula, I really questioned whether I needed to get certified because I had the RN experience. I decided to go ahead and do it, and I'm so glad I did because it really helped me change my focus from a nursing focus to a doula focus, which nurses and I I have the highest praise for nurses, and I'm so proud of my nursing degree, but it helped me turn to more of a heart-centered practice. When I was nursing, I was always so jealous of the volunteers because they got to just sit bedside and talk with people and have the time to do that, and that's what I appreciate about the doula work. So So, I'm sorry. So that differs you from your RN background, but... How does a doula, how do those services differ from those of hospice? Well, hospice is very, it's a medical role, right? And they have an entire interdisciplinary team that has a social worker. They have a chaplain. You have a nurse. You have a home health aide. Whereas doulas um, work a little bit more independently. And the vision of Um, being a doula is not that we're instead of hospice. We want to be alongside with hospice. We think we can help support because what I saw when I was a hospice nurse going into people's homes is that hospice does excellent work, but that some people just need more time and more attention. And, um, that's where the doula role can come in because the hospice nurse doesn't always have time because of the number of patients that she sees in a day or he sees in a day. Um, so the doula can step in and really sit down and provide um, good co- connection with a, the patient. A more personalized experience, yes. more support. So is there a specialization as a doula or is it pretty much open to anyone? 
Well, it's open to anyone. So as a new field, it's not governed by a an overarching body. It's kind of an independent field at this point. Um, and so doulas are doing a wide variety of things. And at this point, because there's no licensing, really anyone can call themselves a doula. So I just urge the public if you're going to hire a doula just to make sure of their background and their intentions um, coming into your home and um, so um, what, what has changed your life about being a doula do you find that this is a very dedicated life of service because I could see this being a very emotionally hard job at times how do you it, recharge well it can be it can be challenging mm -hmm. um but i certainly i feel so honored mm -hmm. to be in this role and to be able to help people through the end of life i i just hold it so dear to my heart um it can be challenging but it's also it enriches my life so much and it teaches me the importance of what's important to me in my life. It teaches me how to prioritize things in my life um, and to really appreciate the simplicity. Um, yes. The simpler my life is, the happier my life is. Um, and that's what hospice and um, doula work has taught me. One thing I saw on your website is it's never too early to kind of get started with this work. And you also mentioned before we went on air that people often wait until mortality is staring them in the face to talk about death. So um, how early do you recommend or is it just a feeling and intuition or when you need help or... I think as soon as you're called and start having the inquiry, um, I also think, you know, especially my generation and older, children were shielded from funerals mm -hmm. and death. And I think, it's, I think young children understand death in a way that we don't. And um, I, I just think it's never, it's never too young to start talking to kids about death and to start exploring that because it really is a lifetime of work. So you facilitate living funeral celebrations, uh, which have been coming, becoming more common in our culture. Can you explain what that is and what it's like to facilitate them? Yeah, I love these living funeral ceremonies. And perhaps the title might be a little misleading because it's not a funeral for someone who is imminent, is going to die soon. It's not that sort of a living funeral. This is for people who are walking around in their lives, healthy, but contemplating death. So it's done in a small group setting. And I facilitate it and lead people through several different exercises that will help them lean closer into the reality of their own death. And while it's a three-hour ceremony, and while it may seem like it's a daunting experience, the feedback I get is that it's so life-renewing and life-enriching because people have a real opportunity to look at the lives they're living and really contemplate what's not working for me right now. What's not working and what do I need to let go of to have a more meaningful, fulfilled life? 
So you can do a living funeral any time in your life. It's about reflection, appreciation. Is that yes. what you're saying? Yes, oh. and the whole idea actually started in Korea mm-hmm. um, because the suicide rates are exorbitantly high in Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, so funeral directors um, got together with... Uh, social workers and and they created these living funeral ceremonies but in Korea they're held in large I mean hundreds of people will come and they actually have coffins that they'll put people in and they kind of nail them shut Whoa. in, in, oh in air quotes right nail them shut um, whereas the living funeral I do people lay down I lead them through a meditation cover them with a shroud um, but the in Korea, they have found that these living funeral ceremonies have really helped the suicide rates among the young wow. and that they can see the meaning of their life and how it affects everyone around them if they were to commit suicide. And so they've created these funerals. And so this is just a kind of an extension of that. Wow. So I've heard of like people holding living ceremonies like when they know they're about to die and just to say goodbye, but I've never heard of anything quite like that. Me, myself, I want a celebration of life, I think, when I go out just to maybe not have it so mopey. (laughs) Yeah. I went to a a funeral that was most interesting. It was a lady who who died of breast cancer, and she had a long time to contemplate her death. And when we entered into the room, there was a table of presents on the back wall. And she actually had presents with heartfelt notes for her guests. Wow. Oh, I love that. I love that. And one thing I want to say about that is when we contemplate our deaths and we have more time to think about how we would want it to go, which it's often unpredictable, but it does give us a chance to um, express appreciation for others and really honor the life that we've been given. And I, the one thing I do want to say is that the way we die is a legacy that we leave for those behind us. And the way we die informs those that we leave behind about death and how their death could go. Wow, that is powerful. And I will say the conversation is just getting going, but it is unfortunately the end. So where can people get in touch with you or find out more about what you do, Cheryl? Uh, I have a website. It is deathdoulahandinhand.com. You've been listening to a KPOV Critical Conversation. To hear more engaging interviews on important topics, please visit kpov.org slash criticalconversations.